you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. My name is Janine Garner and I am the host of this podcast and today I have the pleasure of welcoming Ray Pittman to uh, this podcast as my guest. Now Ray currently is the President and CEO of CBRE Pacific. He's responsible for over 22 offices and over 2,500 employees across Australia and New Zealand. He's a busy man. With a career in commercial property spanning more than 31 years, um, he's an expert in corporate strategy, M&As, team leadership, investment development, management and brokerage. Prior to assuming the leadership of CBRE's Pacific operations, he served as a senior MD for CBRE in Colorado. And prior to that, he was the president and founder of Pittman Development Group that was based out of Denver. I've had the absolute joy of working with Ray and his team here at CBRE for a number of years. Um, He's absolutely a CEO and leader that inspires me in my work. And so it's an absolute joy to welcome you today on this podcast. Welcome, Ray. Thank you. Nice to be with you, Janine. Nice to be with your listeners. Now, 31 years yes. in property. That's, that's a long time. Where did that all start? It is a long time. I, I uh, dare to say longer than some of your listeners may have been alive. So hopefully <laughs> during that time I gained a little bit of wisdom that I can share. Um, where did it all start? So I kind of fell into the industry accidentally. When I was growing up in San Diego, coastal Southern California, my mom was actually part of the Coastal Commission and was very anti-development. So I grew up in a household that was actively opposing development along the coast of um, northern San Diego. So I'd always had a little bit of a fascination and interest in property. But as, as I got older, I came to see it not so much as a bad thing, but as an interesting, exciting uh, part of the world. I loved the built environment. Um, but I had not intended to go into a property uh, career in property. I intended to go into a career either in the military or in law. And for different reasons, those didn't work out at the time. And a friend of mine uh, introduced me to his father, who hired me at a company that I did not actually know what they did when I was 22 years old, and that company became CBRE. It was Coldwell Banker at the time. So I literally started not quite knowing what a property services company did. I certainly know what development was and what the built environment was all about, but I didn't know what property services was. So I fell into it, and I was fortunate, and I found my path from there. So you've stayed in it. You can fall into it, but you've stayed in it. What is it that you love about this industry? Well, I think there has always been two things I've loved that have evolved over time and been intertwined. When I first started, I spent seven or eight years as an agent. I was doing office and industrial leasing. It was fun, it was interesting for a young person, relatively lucrative, but I knew fairly early on that's not how I wanted to spend my entire career. It's a great career, it just wasn't, I could tell, what I was called to do ultimately. Um, I actually quit the company in 1992 
And um, upon quitting, the company approached me and said, wait, 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 before you go, we've identified you as somebody we think has leadership potential. It's a little earlier than we, thinking, than we were thinking, but would you like to go into a leadership role? And I was 29 at the time. And I said, actually, yeah, I would. That sounds interesting. So that was my first start in an organizational leadership role, which has turned out to be something I really have been passionate about every day since then. Um, I also had another passion on that is development, creation of the built environment, which I loved. And I did that for a large national developer for a number of years, four or five years, and really loved it. And then followed what seemed to me at the time to be the ultimate dream of all young people in the property industry, which is to start your own entrepreneurial development company. Uh, it went well. I enjoyed it. it was, there were some lucrative years, uh, but two things happened. One was the GFC, which probably doesn't need a lot of explanation to why that wasn't a fun time. But more personal, I didn't like working alone. I didn't like a small company. I didn't like small projects. I like big things. I like working on big projects. I like teams. And I liked people. And I realized between those two that leadership was probably my greater strength and my greater passion. And development in the built environment was secondary. So now I get to participate every day in development and the built environment, but I really exercise my core skill and my core passion of leadership. And the one thing I learned about you last time we met was this uh, need to keep learning yes. and need to keep growing. Uh, can you share with our listeners the story you shared with me about doing the, the MBA? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little embarrassing, but I'm happy to share well, I've always had a belief, and it's been a part of my sort of personal business plan, if you will, for many years, which is that learning is the only sustainable competitive advantage we have. Whatever I know today is not enough five years from now. And if I'm complacent and don't continue learning, I'll eventually fail at some point. So I've always been a learner. I've always enjoyed it. And in my late 40s, I decided that getting an MBA would be a good idea. And I started off by taking a class or two, and I really liked it. So I started taking more classes and I found myself sitting in classrooms with 20-somethings and 30-somethings and I remember walking in, most times they thought I was the professor and probably an older professor at that, but they always thought I was a professor. And then I'd sit in the class and they'd give me a puzzled look and they'd realize just a student there to learn and then occasionally I had the unfortunate experience where they figured out what I did professionally and a lot of them were young looking to get into the property industry so then I started getting resumes and phone calls and everything else. So I learned to just be the incognito old guy in the room, and I actually loved it. It was so invigorating for me. I learned a lot. I refreshed on every topic of business leadership, and it was great. I finished up uh, a few years ago, and it's, my family threw a little party for me and made me a cake, and it was really nice. It was one of the great experiences of my life, but it was a little embarrassing at times to to be confused with the professor every time you walked into the classroom. I love that though. This, uh, I, I'm with you. Richard Branson said the day we stop learning is the day we stop living. Um, and I see too many people that think they've got the qualification, therefore they're good enough. And your point about um, the world moving so quickly, we have to keep up. And so this continuous learning is, yeah. is critical. Now, as CEO of uh, the Pacific region of CBRE, 22 offices, 2,500 people, um, what does that mean in terms of leadership for you? What's, what do you see as your key role or your key reason for being every day that you come into work? Well... I think for me, leadership has evolved over the years because like most of us, I started off as being a single um, producer. I did my job, I was an agent. And then you go to managing people who do what you used to do. I was a manager of agents. 
then I was a manager of an office, then of a region, now of a much larger business. So each step I've had to learn to uh, manage at a different level. And over time, I've come to see that my real role in a more of a senior management role is about um, developing a leadership team, building a great culture, and setting strategy. And that's really all I do. I'm really, we've talked about, you and I, time management quite a bit. I'm, I try to be really disciplined about time management, and I try to save my energy and my time and my mental capacity for culture, leadership, and strategy. When I do that, things go pretty well. And when I got off, get off track and try to do everything and be all things to all people is usually when I fail. Mm. And do you see, I mean, I certainly see it a lot in terms of people transitioning between management and leadership where they seem to lose all control over their calendar. Um, yeah. And we were talking um, offline about how thinking is such a critical skill of leadership. Do you see that amongst the teams that you work with where we can almost get on a, a crazy wheel of running and doing that we actually forget to stop and take control? Yeah, very much. I fall into that same trap myself. I know I shared with you in the past my diary when I've, I've showed you what a, I think a failed diary looks like when I have literally 40 meetings or phone calls in a week. And that's me trying to be all things to all people and thinking I can do more than I can. And that's been a failure strategy for me. And some of my personal frustrations and professional failures have come out of that, overloading my diary and thinking I can do it all. Conversely, when I create blank spaces or block big chunks of my diary for my own time, and my own time includes refreshing, to be refreshed and sharp and on it, then I can make good decisions, then I can think better about strategy, then I can make better decisions about leadership team issues. Um, so to me, success looks like a clear diary, chunks of time for refreshing and, and sharpening the saw, and time to make the important decisions that need to get made. And there's not that many things that really rely on me, but the things that do rely on me, I better be good at, instead of trying to help two and a half thousand other people do their job every day. Maybe I should just do my job every day and things would go better. That tends to be the rule for me. Now, over your career, um, I'm sure it's not, I often say it's not all unicorns and rainbows. I'm sure it hasn't been during your career. What are some of the choices that you've made um, throughout your personal and professional life that have made you who you are or got you to where you are? Oh, well, um, I've had a couple of really watershed moments. One was, I mentioned before, I attempted to quit CBRE in 1992 to go do something entrepreneurial, and the company talked me out of it and asked me to move into leadership. And that was a real risk. I, I didn't, I, I wasn't doing it to gain leverage. I was really leaving, and I didn't see myself as a leader. So that was just good fortune smiling on me that that happened. So that was one big watershed. Seven years later, I actually resigned again from CBRE and really did leave. And that's when I went into the development business and I stayed there for 12 years. And so in some ways that was the best decision I ever made and in some ways it wasn't. I gave up um, an established career, I gave up friends and network and things that I loved about the company. Um, but it's what I needed to do on my personal journey. That was a big moment for me. And then obviously I came back at some point because I missed the people and the organization and the pace of a big global company. And then I think one of the real notable failures in my career that shaped me a lot, um, over my career I did 
22 development projects. 21 of them were successful, made money, uh, something to be proud of, and none of them uh, burn with the intensity of the memory of the one that failed. Um, mistimed the market, made a bad decision really about the timing of the investment. And it cost myself and the investors a meaningful amount of money. And it was a terrible experience because I'd never had that happen before. I'd never lost anyone, mo anyone money before or since. I'd never had a failed project before or since. It was humbling. It was expensive. But like a lot of things, we learn more from our failures and our successes. I learned an immense amount from that. I learned about not being overconfident, not thinking we had all the answers. And I learned the saying, how do you know what you know? Because I thought I knew what I knew, but I actually didn't know. I just thought I knew what I knew. And I didn't dig deep enough and challenge my own thinking. And that was an incredibly good learning experience. So it made me a better business leader, it made me a better investor. Because now, although we're not investing in buildings, we are investing in companies. And I ask myself all the time, how do you know what you know? You think you know this is a great company, but how do you know that? Have you checked what you know? So it was a great experience, and I hate to say it because it was so painful, but we do learn more, more from our failures, so I, I try not to fear failure and recognize it'll, it'll hurt, but it'll be a learning experience. And I have no doubt there are people listening to this because <laughs> I know from feedback where they are fearing failure or fearing making a choice or significantly pivoting from what they're doing now to potentially trying something else. What, what would you, in hindsight, have done, or how would you try and um, almost navigate that process of change, that period of change? Well, thinking about the big changes I've made in my life, I tend to be a strong, intuitive, gut-level decision-maker. And there's real value in that, and I think that's, um, there's, real, there, there's some very good things about that, but there are also some limitations about that. And one of them is you think you know more than you know. When you really trust your gut instincts, you are effectively thinking you know more than you know. Mm -hmm. So what I would suggest to everybody, particularly to those intuitive thinkers and gut-feeling people out there, more like the way I've approached things, is to get outside input. Ask other people. Have them challenge your thinking. Tell them where you're wrong. Find really smart people and just say, tell me where I'm wrong. I want to know. And then once they tell you, how do they know what they know? Check what they said. Is that right? Is that just their bias? And just dig a little deeper and be more analytical. Because I think for the strong, intuitive types, there tends to be overconfidence. And for, conversely, for the strong, analytical types, there tends to be analysis paralysis. And really, you want a blend of those two things. Trust your gut instincts. Or as uh, Ronald Reagan said, trust but verify. <laughs> trust and verify. <laughs> Love yeah, it. Like, make sure you know what you know. And I, I, I failed at that a few times. Yeah. So I try not to. Yeah. What are, what's the biggest challenge that you're facing right now? Oh, I think the biggest challenge right now is um, implementing change at scale. It's very hard to do uh, implementing change with a group of five people or 25 people is one thing. Typically, you get together for an offsite, you go find a resort location, you lock yourself away for a couple of days, and you make decisions and you go do it. So change with 25 people works that way. Change with 2,500 people works entirely differently. You need change management strategies, communication strategies. And we as a business are really successful and proud of who we are and what we do, but we need to change. We need to evolve. We need to grow. We're a publicly listed company. We have that relentless pressure to grow. It's really hard to grow in a, in a competitive market. Our competitors want to grow too at our expense. 
So that's hard. And Australia and New Zealand are very mature property markets. Um, so it's hard to come by. So those are my two challenges, implementing change at scale and growing the business. And they're hugely challenging and I have to think about it all the time. Mm. And with change, I know one of the big passions of yours is uh, gender diversity and LGBTI work that you do here. You're part of the Male Champions of Change here yep. in Australia. Um, and congratulations, you've just won a bronze award for the work that you're doing in the, the space of diversity. Um, why is it so important? I mean, I'm sure there's people listening going, oh, property is like the most... Uh, structured industry, gender-biased industry. Yeah. Where does this come from, this desire, this passion, this, this need within you to drive change within this organization here? Well, uh, a couple of places. Um, part of it is personal and part of it is professional. So let me talk about the professional part of it. I say when I open up with our groups, I talk about diversity a lot. I get invited to our different offices and I talk a lot about it. And what I say at the opening every time, this is a business strategy, it's not a social program. We're doing this for a purpose, here is the purpose. And the purpose is um, about attracting and retaining a more talented workforce. That's it. And I know just in the AFR today, the debate about should you have quotas or not. And to me that's like saying, well, should you have numeric goals on your profit goals? Or should you just say, we just sort of want to be more profitable, that would be nice. No, you have specific numeric goals, so we have specific numeric goals. The way I've looked at it, Janine, really, is to say, um, our business is a people business, and we succeed or fail based on the talent we have. If we're not attractive to women, there goes 50% of the population. If we're not attractive to the LGBTI community, there goes 10% of the population. We're now trying to win an immense battle out there with 40% of the talent pool. That's a bad strategy. Let's win it with 100% of the talent pool, which means we have to be an attractive place where a very wide range of people feel comfortable to do their best work every day. So that's our primary reason. The second almost as compelling reason is when I first arrived here three years ago, I had several senior level clients say in a fairly blunt way, we don't like your company too much. You're pretty blokey. We're tired of drinking events. We don't want to just go to rugby. We actually want to learn something about property. Can't you do better than this? So you put all those together and we have a, we have a pretty compelling reason for, for change. I have lots of personal backing for it too, but that's really professionally why we drive it so, so hard and so consistently. Yeah, and thank goodness you do. You're doing some, some great work. Um, now let's just quickly talk about you because I know... Um, People will be intrigued about you. What, what have you learned about yourself over the last 30-odd years, um, starting out at work and now being the leader that you are? You're a family man as well. You moved here from the U.S. What have you learned about yourself um, as Ray, as Ray Pittman? Mm, a couple things come to mind there. One, my honest answer is, as a leader, I'm not sure this is right, but it's what I do, I try to really focus on the team. I don't focus on myself very much. I try hard to avoid talking about myself very much because I don't think it's what, what our team wants to hear about. Um, I think they want to know that we have a plan, that we have a mission, that there's purpose to what we do, that there's strategy behind it all. But I have at times, and this is a good lesson for leadership, been told by people, hey, it would be good if we actually knew you a little bit more because that's part of leadership. And that hasn't always been what I've done um, what have I learned over the years? I guess t 
to accept who I am and to be pretty gentle and forgiving with myself. I don't think I was that way when I was in my 20s, 30s, or maybe even 40s. I think I was pretty hard on myself and, and critical. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are going to be the same way, always thinking either you're not good enough or you should be doing more. And I think as I've gotten older and more experienced, I've realized that I am who I am. I have certain strengths which can really add value. I have certain weaknesses that um, I'm not going to change. And so I've learned to accept that about myself and to really focus on what I'm good at. And I, I happen to like this role because I happen to be good at strategy, leadership, and culture. There's lots of stuff I'm not good at, and I work hard to have teammates who are really good at those things. I'm not great at detail. I don't spend all my day thinking about finance. Uh, I'm not very process-oriented. We have lots of people who are so much better at that than I am, and I rely on them, and they rely on me for what I'm good at. So I've probably learned that a lot. Just, in, But underlying it all is to just be accepting of yourself and and not get down if you make a mistake or criticize yourself if you have the sense of not being good enough. That's helped me a lot to just to look at it more that way. Now, this podcast is called Unleashing Brilliance. Um, I have a personal belief that there is brilliance in everyone. We just have to bring it out and that's when we create those extraordinary results. What does Unleash and Brilliance mean to you? What does, if you had to describe what that means to you, what does it mean to you, Ray? I take it, Janine, to mean exactly what you take it to mean. I believe everybody has potential. Uh, I think it's the job of the leader to help their team to find that, to how to perform at a high level, both individually and together. I believe everybody's capable of high capacity work. Usually people are capable of more than they think they are. And it's up to the leader to help spot and develop that talent. And I think that's one of the exciting things about leadership is figuring out yourself, what are you capable of? But even more so, figuring out what is the team capable of? What can we do together? That, to me, is the great buzz of life and business, is what can we do together and then go achieve that? And then you see people um, uh, achieving things in their lives that they feel really good about. So I like that. I, I don't think I see it any differently than you do, and I love to see people blossom and grow and take the next step in their life. Now, there's so, there's so much uh, written about leadership or becoming a better version, version of yourself or even running a business. What is, the, what is the one thing that you are constantly hearing that you just wish people would not listen to, that you just go, really? <laughs> Someone said to me once, every bit of feedback is awesome feedback. I hate that feedback. I hate that comment. Like, what's the one thing that grates you? Um, well, I do think there's a lot of talk out there. So probably my number one complaint is just the sheer volume of it. I'm not sure there's any one comment or topic that troubles me as just the sheer volume of it. And I try to think about how to simplify all those messages into what I really believe in. If there's one thing that I do comment on from time to time, this belief that you can't do work until you find your one true passion, and so you really have to find that passion before you can be successful, I tend to think a little bit differently that um, I want to do good work with my team. And if I'm a job today that might seem a little mundane, how do we make it exciting with this team and do great work together? So I'm not quite as big maybe as other people would be as you can't do great work until you find your passion. I think you can. And what's, um, you mentioned earlier, again, off, off uh, I want to say camera, even though we're not on camera, about sometimes you like to hit the surf and sometimes you like to go for a walk. What, what do you like to think deeply about? What's the thing that you would love just 
going through or around in your head that you're thinking deeply about right now? Well, one thing I find really interesting is where does your mind go when you're not forcing it to go somewhere? You're not looking at a spreadsheet of numbers or something. So for me, that time is often going for a run or a walk on the beach. I almost always have music on. I almost always have it on pretty loud. And I'm just thinking, and you just see where your mind goes and what things are really interesting to you. I really do think about leadership a lot. That's why I know I'm drawn to this job. Like, how can we create a better organization? How can I help others to succeed? How do I build a better team? What strategic moves do we make to succeed? I really do like to think about that. I like to also think about human potential. Like, why aren't we just better? I know this company, this team, this group of people can be better. Why aren't we better? Uh, I think about that a lot. And I think about leadership concepts a lot. I spent a lot of beach walks between Manly and DY listening to a book called Extreme Ownership. And the underlying concept, or one of them that I really got out of it, is there are no bad teams. There are only bad leaders. So this, this is from the US Navy SEAL. So it's a very sort of um, assertive and aggressive sort of mentality. But that was a really confronting thing to think about. And I thought deeply about that for a long time because ultimately I concluded, that's right. There are no bad teams or only bad leaders. And if my team's not performing, it's because I'm not a very good leader, so I better get on it. Instead of thinking, why isn't so-and-so doing their job? They need to be better and, and, and um, you know, worrying about how to make them better. I need to worry about how to make myself better at my job. And can you give an example of where, of where that's played out, where you've acknowledged or there's a level of self-awareness where you've gone, I need to change this about my approach and my leadership to yeah. help my team. Have you got an example? Yeah. I was getting frustrated with one of our teams about what felt to me that, um, I don't know the right term, but kind of a lack of accountability. That we knew we had to do things, but people weren't getting it done, and they didn't seem particularly worried that they didn't get it done. It just, and so we weren't succeeding uh, at all, or certainly not succeeding fast enough. And I was really getting frustrated with that team. Like, you know, they're all complacent. Nobody cares. This is terrible. You know, getting down on the people. And somewhere in the middle of that book, I realized the reason that they're not accountable is because their leader doesn't hold them accountable. And it's their leader's fault that the team culture exists the way it exists because the culture wasn't focused enough on discipline and accountability. Well, that's the fault of the leader. And the leader was me. And so... I took 100% ownership of that with the team. I said, this is the problem. I used the quote, there are no bad teams, there's only bad leaders. And I said, I'm now gonna practice more discipline and accountability. That felt really good to me. And I think the team actually appreciated even though the implied message is I'm gonna hold you a lot more accountable for results. I think everybody said, yeah, we're okay with that. And it was really, it was very effective. It was really an enlightening kind of thing to me. It took the frustration off of thinking about other people and more about what can I do to create a better outcome. I love that, Ray. Now, I know you're a busy man, so my final question. Um, we often talk about what we want to be remembered for doing. Uh, my final question is, what do you or who do you want to be remembered as being? Oh, that's a hard question. Mm. Um, well, my role, Janine, I'm an organizational leader. I, I lead a large organization. I want to leave behind a great... Uh, legacy of an organization that succeeds and is sustainable. To be sustainable, that means there's a great leadership team and a leadership bench. That's really important to me. 
and that that leadership bench is a very diverse group of people, all of that, and I tend to think about that in the um, context of the Pacific region job that I'm in now, because I am a foreigner. I am um, here working for a big global company, and one day I won't be here. So I know I'm not here forever, so I have a different sense of legacy than other people might have because my horizon's shorter. And so I want to leave a great organization, a great leadership team, and a more diverse group of people who feel good about what they're doing and know they can succeed. And I think the perfect outcome for me that, uh, I'm not quite sure the way to put it, but what I dream about is being able to sort of slink away in the darkness and no one even notices because things just run so well. The leadership team is so confident. They're so together. They're so on it that it's not a big deal when I leave. I just go and everybody goes, yeah, where's, where's that American guy that used to be here? He was pretty good. And by the way, we're running really well. That would be fantastic for me. That'd make me really happy. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. I love every interaction we've had over the years and um, that we are going to have. I learn something more about you and your style every time we meet, which inspires me. Um, some key things I've taken from our conversation is one of the things Ray is really clear about is taking or managing time to make decisions or make the right decisions moving forward. And I think all of us can uh, try and set some boundaries around time. You shared quite openly that you block that out where you can think. Um, and too many of us aren't thinking, and yet thinking is where the ideas, the opportunity to learn about ourselves and the evolution of people, places, process, all of those things happen. Um, you also share quite openly learning from failures. Um, and again, thank you for doing that because I think all of us hit some point in our career, our business, um, our leadership, where we feel like we're heading downhill and it's this opportunity to stop and learn from it. And equally to um, have the courage to try something and learn from that. I loved your point about you don't remember the successes as much as you focus on that failure. And I've heard that so many times. And I think part of the challenge is to have have one of those. Um, so that was that was really awesome. And the other key thing which I've I've seen in action is you embracing who you are. And I think that comes with a level of um, for all of us emotional maturity in ourselves. We talked a lot off record around self-awareness. And I think the more that we can own who we are, the more that we have chance to make that dent in the universe that we, we want to make. So, Ray, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank I you. really nice appreciate yeah, it. And that. I look forward to sharing this and catching up with you again. Likewise. Thank you. Thanks, Janine. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.